Hi, it's Pat the Sales Engineer. This is the third part of the series, Why Do You Need a Sales Engineer? This particular part, we're dealing with sales and sales management. The last part, we went around the horn with sales engineering in the middle, and we discussed at a very high level how a sales engineer makes everybody work together for the good of the customer, as an advocate for the customer, for the good of the deal. It's all about the money. We're not running a charity, but it's okay if we give our customers a good value. And that's all we're trying to do is to really get that value part down and not go out of business doing it. So for sales and sales management, what a sales engineer does is they help make sales more accountable to justify getting them the support they need to be more persuasive. Persuasive is a term we use in sales. In other words, we want people to want our product. We do not want to have to hit them over the head and cheat and lie and steal. We just want them to love what we do and say, yeah, I'll take two of them on their own. So the first thing that we do to this end is that we understand as sales engineers, and again, as I go through each of these sections, as I talked about in the last part, try to figure out, is there anybody else in the company that's supposed to be doing this? These things that I talk about. Who is paid to provide these services to the various different departments that I've chosen as the very high level, very basic departments? So a sales engineer will support sales to get the deal, understanding that it's priority number one. Priority number one, getting the deal, this is the, the A that we talked about, right? Acquisition, acquire. Once we get the deal, we have the money to give them good service. The second, once we have a customer, <clears throat> is to support we give them sales uh, support to keep the customer we call this retention we retain the customer that's the R in farm F being fabricate A being acquire them as a customer R being retain them and then M being make them the happiest customer in the world as a marquee or referral. We want each customer to lead us to and hand us to someone who's going to give us the next deal. That's the way you think when your company is sales centric. Part of this is because what we call growing the account. Now, retention just simply means just to keep them, right? But we never want to leave money on the table. So growing the account can only be possible when our customers are what? Well, yeah, okay, they're rich or they have the money that we need. But what's more important? They have to be happy. So, yes, we do farm 
the prospects to get them in the door, but we also need to farm our existing customers. And in many cases, their mission may have changed. And they never thought to call, oh, you're just the software guy. Oh, you, you just take care of the shredder. Oh, you, you don't, that really has nothing to do with you. And if they're treating you like a vendor, then yeah, you're acting like a vendor. You need to act like a trusted authority, an advisor, a consultant, an advocate. <clears throat> we'll get to that. So ask yourself, how happy are your customers? Are they so unhappy that you're not going to get any of that money on the table? They've taken it off the table? Now remember, sales, their job and what they're comp to do typically is just to get them in the door. They're usually not compensated on retaining them. That money usually goes directly into the till. Typically, unfortunately, software companies and hardware companies will comp them only on what annual support and update they can sell at the time they became a customer. So if I sell you three years of support, I get paid commission on the three years. If I sell you one year of support, I get one year's worth of commission, but the next year when you, when you renew, I don't see that money. That's what most companies do. I know, it sounds kind of strange, doesn't it? But we have to work with what we're given. The third aspect. And this is what happens when you become sales-centric. You look at things differently. The whole company that is customer-facing should understand that each closed sale, they signed on the dotted line, is used by all other departments, and I, I'm, I'm saying other meaning, I guess, sales you'd consider the primary that, that got them the sale to set the stage and I've hinted at this earlier twice for what? the next deal if you let time lapse they will forget that you understood their issues and problems and psychologically they will feel as though well that was three years ago we we do things differently now they might not but they certainly will feel it you're out of touch where have you been you never gave us a call okay. if you leave money on the table that's your fault that's not their fault you use this to set the stage for the next deal and let's say you can refine the practices. Now we're using very broad terms because I'm speaking to people with all different kinds of businesses. We refine the practices. You can call it something like lessons learned. You might call it debriefing. Debriefing uh, the deal. You know, what did we do right? What did we do wrong? Could we have spent less money and got the same result? for the next deal. So it's even better. We're concerned with every single sale teaching us something that we didn't know 
showing us something that we have to change to be better at doing what we do the next time. Too often sales reps are told, you work in a vacuum, just go do your thing, I don't care what you do, where you go, I just want to see those sales. That isn't working with all the other departments. That isn't working together for the next deal. That isn't working together for anything. We don't gain anything from that information. That's not sales-centric and certainly not customer-centered. So questions you might ask yourself. Well, what do we see not coming? Or not see coming? Any blind sides, I guess you'd say, if you're a Survivor fan? Another question would be, now that we, we know what these are, or maybe they were things that we saw, but they were far more impactful than we realized they would be, is there any way to avoid uh, or at least if, we, if we're gonna, gonna have to put up with it, lessen uh, the impact in future? Now I've created methodologies that are worksheets to basically do this and debrief after a deal and all the departments that are involved kick in and they want to know about it. So it's a, a nice way to concisely lay it all out. Uh, the sales team can go ahead and fill this out as part of their required paperwork and it stays and helps sales management later look at what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, are we seeing the same problems, things like that. And of course we always ask ourselves what actions because remember we talked about actionable, very key word, action. What actions can we take next time? So this is all about preparing, any way to avoid, steer away from it. But when it does happen, it is unavoidable. When we do get the unexpected, did we really react in a way that made us look good in front of the prospect? Is there a way we could have, you know, maybe not get so mad about it, maybe not shuffle them around, maybe talk to them more instead of leaving them hanging while we scramble. Another nice thing that the sales engineer provides the rest of the company with, we'll hear things in the, in the field. Something might be like, if you could give me feature X to sell, I could make money, you know, more money. This could be from a customer saying, hey, I want X. Well, the rep is hearing this over and over again. Now, there's nobody in engineering that's asking them about this. There's nobody in engineering calling up the sales rep every day. Hey, have you heard anything about whatever? Marketing doesn't care. They don't handle new features, and the product manager would love to know this. But again, the product development manager is not sitting there calling up every sales rep every day asking them what they heard. It's the sales engineer that is there and it's the sales engineer's job at the center of the communication wheel, if you want to call it that, at the hub, to make sure that any and all of this relevant communication that he or she hears gets to the right person. No matter how small and insignificant it may seem to sales, because it doesn't help with the next deal or whatever, then it can be just as important to somebody else.
So, like I said about the product, uh, product development manager, I'd like to call it profit opportunities. So we get profit opportunities to the product development manager. Now you know why I abbreviate it, PDM. <laughs> why? Because remember what this guy does? He drives features and sets price. This is the guy or girl who is sitting there watching how much something costs, how much money we're making on it, are we charging enough, are we charging too much, pricing ourselves out, should we even have this product anymore? Why aren't we replacing it with something else? Finally, with sales management, we match the comp plans to how we want to sell. I talked about this in the last video where I said if you want to know what somebody sells, ask them what their comp plan is, what they do. And if you have a short-term, low-hanging fruit, one-month sales cycle, another month and you're out, then you're not selling $10 million products. Nobody makes the decision for a $10 million product in a month, especially if you deal with the government, the federal government. Local governments, municipalities are a little better, at least on time, as far as keeping the sales cycle low. Next, concerning sales. One of the things I've said from the very beginning and in other videos is perception equals reality. If you behave like a great customer service organization, you're going to be one. If the customer thinks, because of the way you treat them, that you are a great customer service organization, you are one. Very simple. If you give the perception of the customer that you're very organized, but you're not, it doesn't matter. The customer thinks you're very organized. You're very responsive. So one person, as a single point of contact, from sales all the way into fulfillment as a sales engineer, can really impact how a customer feels about our company. And when we talk about marketing and advertising, we're going to talk about exactly that. When you ask your customer about your company, what do they say? In all honesty, what do they say? The biggest problem that we have for sales is figuring out the basics. And the best way that I can represent that graphically is to say this little circle represents what we think we sell. We think we sell this and this will be in your mission, vision, and value statements. Helping customers do this and that. Nobody says we sell screws and plates and power supplies. Nobody says that. They sell solutions. But guess what else we have? 
this is what prospects and customers think we sell. This difference of opinion or perspective sometimes it's called can come from any number of places. It can come from our advertising, it can come from experience, it can come from the material that we give them. Who knows? But the most important circle that's here is the third one. You know what this one is? This is what we really sell. talking about. This whole concept I use a lot in my methodologies where there's us, there's them, and there's reality. They are never identical. We like to think that we know what we sell, but we don't control our image as well as we think we do. And our image, perception, equals reality. To the customer out here, they might be in the popcorn business. And they would say, hey, they helped me make great popcorn. We might say, oh, we enable businesses to achieve global success through enabling and have a bunch of buzzword bingo. But in reality, what we sell might be quite different when you really boil it down. So when it comes to sales and sales management, one of the hardest things to do is to take a frank assessment of the differences between these three. Some of them are helpful. For example, our customers might think that we do more than we actually do in a positive way. But unfortunately, they might also think just as easily that we do this thing over here that has nothing to do with us. Oh, I thought you guys did that. Don't you, your, your thing plugs into the, you sure you guys don't do this over here? And that hurts, doesn't it? It hurts just as bad as them not realizing the good stuff that we do, that we could be selling them if they think we do something else. I guess I should make this H or something. They think that we do something completely different. And because of that, yes, it hurts the image and the referrals and everything else indirectly, but also it means that when this fails, <laughs> I've seen this, when this fails, they call us up. Oh, the Y is on the, uh, it's on the fritz. Oh, you know that company, that Acme Widgets, boy, they're always screwing that up. It's not even ours. I have no control over any of that except education, constantly talking to the customer, keeping it just customer service fixes this problem. So this should be done every quarter and this information to make it actionable is done through yes the CRM system but also through surveys, sales reports and basically what we do is we make this actionable by mapping out tasks, projects, however you want to look at it, 
to address them and to get them more closely aligned with each other. Nobody's perfect, there's always room for improvement, and maybe you want to make yourself look a little bit better than you really are. The other is that we bring other company resources to bear to achieve these perception goals. What does that mean? Well, a perception goal, like I said, might not be exactly aligning all three of these. For example, maybe we are small, but we want to give our customers confidence by saying, no, 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 we want to make them feel like we're a big company. We might be unable to give them customer service because, as good as we like, because we have so few people, but we'd like them to think that we have great customer service because we treat every single one of them stellar. We're, we're rock stars when it comes to customer service because we understand at a core level in our culture this is what drives money. Our raises and pays our mortgage. So it's not always a bad thing to have a different way of looking at yourself than what is really there. As long as it's helping the customer. And both of these are. These aren't bad. These aren't lying. I'll give you great customer service and make you think you're my only customer. Is that horrible? No, of course it's not horrible. You walk into a, a bar and somebody knows your drink, makes you feel like you're somebody, a big shot, a big big person, whatever. They do it for a reason. Why? Because it gets more money out of your wallet. And you don't mind because you're getting something for it. So the question you have to ask yourself, how will each and every decision meaning one choice over another affect sales Number one, we are a sales organization first. For proof, if you don't believe me, you might not like to think of it or act like it or whatever. You think you're an engineering company? For the proof, look in your wallet. My friends, this is exactly what you need to do to be able to support sales properly as a sales engineer.
these kinds of things that we do to help support a sales-centric organization, an organization that takes the money in and then efficiently puts it where it needs to be to get the next deal, to keep this deal, to improve our products and services. We have to not only make more money in, we also have to spend less money out. You hear people say this all the time, do more with less. Well, that's silly. Of course you want to do more with less. I'd love to pay my mortgage for half as much as it costs. That's silly. What's important is that you're making efficiencies that don't impact the customer, don't impact sales. When companies go to the various different departments and they say, all of you have to lower your operating costs by 20%, that's all they do. They'll do whatever it takes to get it under 20% without care for anything. Why? Because each of those companies departments, business units, is solely measured with metrics that only have to do with them, not the customer. When you become a sales organization, everything matters from the customer's perspective. Getting the next sale, making them happy. A sales engineer will move your organization into a sales organization from whatever kind of organization, if you even have a culture that's driving it one way or the other. Odds are if you have software or if it's a very complex product, it's an engineering culture. Unless you've taken steps with a sales engineer to completely align your company toward the almighty dollar, which is being held in the customer's hand. And that's it for the third part. Thank you. The fourth part, we're going to be dealing with the next department in the list, which is engineering and development. QA and support.